R2, look out! Behind you! Uh, you're being followed by battle droids! <laughs> These are your troops? Uh, they're battle droids! What do you mean they've been reprogrammed to follow your orders? We are awaiting your word, Commander. You heard him. Move out. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Buto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the Clone Army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to Send in the Clones! In this episode... Jedi Master Even Piel is being held in the Citadel with information vital to both sides. So Anakin, Obi-Wan, and the clone troopers, along with a certain stowaway Padawan, are sent to Lola Sayu to break him out. Hey, troops, it's your old buddy Bucho. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm a Clone Wars rookie. And my first ever watch of the Clone Wars, and next to me in the dropship, he's a Clone Wars veteran on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars. He's the sky guy to my snips. That's your trusty pal, Robbie. Hello everyone. We are going to talk about the 62nd episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology written by Matt Michnovitz and directed by Kyle Dunleavy and I pronounce both of those names perfectly. Season 3, Episode 18, The Citadel. So Robbie, how about we roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about this episode before you rewatched it again this week. It's not that I remembered specific things that went down in this episode but i did remember this arc and i remembered the arc that you know of course it's uh i'm guessing it's evan pl is how you said or maybe even i don't know however you say his name and then the introduction of tarkin to the clone wars i mean that's that's what i'd remembered about this arc it's it's one of those things where you know a lot of times you know especially when it's been a few years you know you you remember the the major happenings or the major things that go on you don't specifically remember exactly how things go down so so yeah it was fun to watch this again yeah i mean it's uh it's yeah that's it that's i'm yeah i'm stumbling here yeah <laughs> well one of the things i mean did you remember that atui as i call him has his own battle droid squad now painted in r2 colors and everything and old r2 is now commander r2 and we see him as the skipper of the transport ship which takes the team to the planet of lola so how did you like commander r2 robbie oh i love it i think it's great and it's a really neat idea but yeah i did not remember that but uh i found it interesting that they're sort of reprogrammed to follow his orders right but they still retain I guess their their sense of humor and things like that, which I found interesting. Like to me, it's like when you say that you've reprogrammed something, that means that they're like a blank slate, and they're just they just say do what they're told and they say what they're told. But yeah, this this was almost like well, they're just they just changed allegiance. Yeah, it's a really neat addition to see R two command his own you know private army. I guess they just changed out the loyalty chip, right? Maybe when they said reprogrammed, they were. <laughs> I mean, they've got a loyalty chip. Pull out the Separatist one, plug in the Republic one. No, they're, I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's, they, they just changed out the chip. Here you go. Yeah. You're on our side now. But yeah, it's like. like how did J-Bo Hood do it? Because the last time we saw anything like this was J-Bo Hood. Right. But if you remember, they weren't, you know, the, the battle droids that we know where they with their sense of humor and their, you know, stumbling. They were almost like blank slates. And maybe that's just, 
you know, we're just going to have fun with this and it's this is the thing, you know. And they didn't think too much about the how. But for sure. me, it was it was one of those things that it, it was my first thought when they started, you know, I don't know about this and, you know, all that stuff. Very reminiscent of the Return of the Jedi, you know, trying to make it through the, the shield gate. You yeah. Know? You know what yep. I mean? It, it's, it's very yep. reminiscent of that. And speaking of being reminiscent, Robbie, the Citadel prison warden is Aussie Sobek, a Findian male who's very, very reminiscent of Christopher Walken. And man, what a striking looking chap this guy is. My shot of the episode, I'm going to tell you right now, Robbie, spoiler alert, my shot of the episode is the first shot we see of Warden Sobek spinning in his chair up there on his perch as the camera rolls on like a fast dolly shot right up into a close-up of his googly-eyed skull-like face what an introduction you just (laughs) zoom in on this dude with a skull face and then later we find out he talks like christopher walken where does the introduction of us he's so big sit on their four-star robbie scale of introductions i mean that's a pretty good introduction robbie oh yeah i agree um i'd probably give it a three you know it's not bad Um, only three yeah i mean for me, he, he uh, I think it wasn't his appearance. It was the voice itself seemed strange to me. And it wasn't the, you know, his Christopher Walken-esque, I guess. Uh, Cadence. Yeah, it, it wasn't that. It was the the actual voice seemed, I don't know. It, it seemed strange to me. So I was sort of a bit taken aback by that just because I, I feel like the voice seemed, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm being too critical of that, but... For me, it's that's that's how it seemed to me, and he's definitely an interesting character. It's just uh, maybe the performance was a little uh, lacking on my side. Uh, yeah, maybe that. I don't know if that was just your side, Rob, because on my side, I thought he was a lot of fun. And speaking of fun, as you've already mentioned, Master Evan Piel, he's this old one-eyed. Hard nut Lanark Jedi Master, and he's a member of the Jedi Council at the time of the Phantom Menace, and he was one of those who voted against letting Anakin be trained as a Jedi, but Anakin doesn't seem to hold that too much against him by the time we get to this episode. And also, as you mentioned, Captain Tarkin, and he's established very quickly as an as an argumentative chap he's not happy just to go along with obi-wan's plan he's kind of a fly in the ointment from the time we meet him how did you like meeting captain tarkin in this episode robbie i mean that's one of my favorite things about this whole arc is seeing that dynamic with uh with tarkin and anakin you know because we know they work together very closely you know in episode four so it's interesting to see that dynamic and how they, they talk to each other and how they treat each other. And it's the thing that, you know, for me, character is always, you know, the plot and all that stuff, you know, can come and go. But well done character dynamics and the way that they interact, that's what I I really dig. So I was really looking forward to seeing that dynamic again. And one of the things that's really good about it is not only is the, the voice acting very, very well done, in my opinion... I mean, it's immediate. You know immediately who that is. Yeah, the yeah, design yeah. is perfect. Um, I, I just really enjoyed that. And, and uh, you know, you talk about <laughs> even <laughs> PL, uh, Master PL. I'm just going to say that. He was always one of those, especially when, you know, when episode one came out. You know, there was this big, uh, you know, is he a member of Yoda's race? Is he? And, of course, you know, it's it's very quickly all of those 
theories are sort of just you know just thrown away and they they say no he's he's his own um he's his own Lannick, they call him yeah so it was really interesting i remember when when all of the i guess the the i wouldn't say leaks but the the character designs were kind of coming out for episode one there was just this big flurry online as to who this guy is and this is the first time that we really kind of get an idea of who he is so that was really interesting to see too well, someone we know a lot more about before we ever get to this episode, that is Ahsoka Tano, Robbie. And Ahsoka accuses Anakin in this episode, not for the first time in the show, of being overprotective. But Anakin explains this mission is do or die. And given some of the missions that we've seen them on, Landing in Point Rain is the first one that comes to mind. If this is where that line is for Anakin, then the Citadel must be quite the fortress i mean the scene where he tells ahsoka that he doesn't want to bring her along this is before we ever get to see the citadel so when i'm watching it i know nothing about it and the fact that he's drawing the line here and he's let her do so many other things which are super dangerous it immediately sets up as a kind of storytelling technique it sets the citadel up as something that in my mind all of a sudden is something extremely formidable i agree and it's one of those things that and i don't know if this is a like a misstep story-wise or or whatever or if i got distracted or something but the one thing that's not clear to me is i mean this appears to be a separatist run complex right right it's almost like why does this thing exist i don't know there's there's a there was a line that that anakin said that it was something like this was created for jedi you know if they go wrong or something and yeah right and i'm like i'm i'm just confused as to who built it What's the purpose for it? And why is it run by separatists? And that's what I was going to ask you. Is this something that that I just missed? Or is it kind of deliberately made unclear? The way that I read it is that the Jedi built it for rogue Jedi. You know, for anyone who's going Sith, you know, they need somewhere that can contain a Jedi. And so the Jedi built it before the separatists broke off to become the separatists. You know, before they separated to become the separatists. (laughs) I assume that this was just one of those planets or societies that decided to go with the separatists. So it was built back before the break in relations. Okay. And then once relations, you know, split in half, this citadel just happened to be in separatist territory. I don't know. Does that make sense? No, it does. I just didn't, I wasn't clear on how that happened. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, it definitely looks formidable. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that, I have to bring up about the design of it, the look of the planet, you know, the colors being used. It seems like there's a very huge jump in the confidence when it comes to lighting and direction. I mean, this seemed really, really sharp to me. The lighting was on point all the way through. I mean, there's some really, really cool looking shots. I I don't know. This just seemed like it was like they pulled out all the stops for this. I mean, I I really felt uh, I, I really enjoyed the look of it. Yeah, there's two major design elements that have gone into Lola Soyu. One of them is that it's pretty much only half a planet, or maybe five-eighths of a planet. And, man, that is a striking image just mm-hmm. in and of itself. And then it also has those colors. We remember Teth as being a purple planet. Well, this is purple cranked up to 11, and then the lava is this golden glowing substrate. So it's just one of those images that i'm sure by the end of the series it's one of the ones that will have stayed with me one of the worlds that i'll keep going back to in my mind is one of the most memorable 
pieces of world building that the show did yeah so i get where you're coming from on that yeah and i mean it's one of the the notes that i wrote down is that it, it is it's just a beautiful planet i mean and it's got that kind of you know when you're designing right you know you you try to go with complementary colors and purple and yellow go along you know go together very well sure so it was just a and then you know when you get inside there's that very cold lighting and then you know when you get into the i guess the the torture rooms or the or the the prison cells you know they're they've got that red tint i just really enjoyed i don't know it's almost like a symbolic thing you know and it and it just looked uh it just looked awesome i i just love the way it looks and of course, one of the ways that our heroes have to get to the Citadel is that the whole team has to free climb a massive mind cliff with electrical charges arcing across it. And Rob, you know, everyone is wondering where that cliff climb sits on the four star Robbie Obi Careful scale. It was up there. I, I and I remember thinking about it and going, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like that. That's a, <laughs> that's a bad one. And it's, it was funny because. Uh, you know, I would say it's up there, like on the three and a half. I mean, it's definitely up there on the scale. But uh, I remember thinking, you know, everybody kind of gets up to the to the ledge there, and I'm like, oh, well, I guess that was easier than expected. And just when I was thinking that is when the clone, you know, hits that rock that, right. and he falls, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, all right, well, I guess I guess they all know they're there now. So, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was one of those things where it was like, just when I was thinking. That seemed very easy, is when it all went to crap. Yeah. You were probably counting your blurgs before they hatched on that one, Robbie, because it turned out it wasn't that easy. And another world-building notes I have in this episode, Robbie, one is that carbon freezing happens in this episode, and the other one is that apparently there's such a thing as a hyperspace lane, and there are secret hyperspace lanes, and the Nexus route travels into the heart of both the Separatist and the Republic homeworlds, um, I guess my question here is, what was your conception about hyperspace before you found out that there was such a thing as hyperspace lanes? And what do you think a hyperspace lane is? Because, I mean, as a kid, at least, you know, when we first started watching these things, I always just thought going into hyperspeed was, you know, you push the throttle to the stops. It's like a super afterburner, you know, you know and you just point yourself in the right direction, calculate gravity wells of planets, you know, if you've got a slingshot around them, but... I never thought of there being lanes. So what do you think a hyperspace lane is? Well, it's it's one of those things that uh, kind of comes up in a, in a couple of different stories. I'm trying to think of where I've seen that in canon. I, I'm, I'm going blank here, but it's one of those things where, you know, when Han describes, you know, the calculations for the jumps to light speed, you know what I mean? It's Right. I kind of always thought that it, it had to be almost like a map of the galaxy that people had figured out the best you know the most efficient ways to go you know like you said slingshotting around a star or or whatever that people had already kind of mapped out different places you know different ways to go and when you talk about i guess these lanes that are shared by the separatists and the republic you know it's just more about the the most efficient ways to get there so it wasn't something that i'd consciously thought about but it was something that that I was like, yeah, yeah, hi, yeah. The hyperspace lanes. It's something that had been referenced before in, in other canon materials, though. So it's not exact. I mean, it's just like the, uh, you know, in Solo when he talks about the Kessel Run. You know, he basically made his own route through the storm. Right. That was beyond what had already been mapped previously. 
and you know L7 was definitely integral in kind of mapping those roots for him but uh when it comes to the carbon freezing i don't know it it was something that was referenced in the behind the scenes for this episode was that in empire strikes back darth vader sort of is very confident that this is going to work but i don't know it kind of felt like it was a dangerous thing to do and that it wasn't normal to carbon freeze sure you know people but this is apparently the i guess the reveal that vader has done this before and he knows that it works, and this is the first time that it's done. I don't know. I, it's one of those things where I always felt, you know, I remember thinking the first time I watched it, and even this time that I watched it, that it just seems, I mean, it's cool, but it also seems something that is dangerous, you know, and, and it can, you know, a lot of bad things can happen. Of course, I mean, you could say you could say the same thing about skydiving or anything like that, but it just seems like a like a very dangerous thing to do, but... I don't know. I, I, I was curious. That was one of the notes that I had. Was I was curious about your thoughts on that, and if you had also assumed that them doing that to Han on Cloud City was something that was sort of a new thing, and it wasn't typically done. Yeah, that's how it always played in Empire for me. That it was the first time that they had tried to carbon freeze, you know, a human before, and so that was why they used Han for the test subject because obviously. What Vader really wanted was Luke, and he wanted to, t- you know, he wanted to test it out, and that's what they used Han for. And so the fact that he wasn't confident it would work for Luke, I guess, always made it seem like he wasn't confident it would work for a human being. And so it seemed like, you know, it just isn't the done thing to do it to human beings. So it was a surprise in this episode. Yeah, because he says, uh, because Lando says, you know, if you put him in there, it could kill him. Yeah. And then Vader says, well, we will test it on Captain Solo. So it's just a weird thing, a weird canon thing that, I don't know, it always sat kind of weird for me, this this episode. I mean, I, it, it's definitely a cool idea, you know? Sure. The way, a way to smuggle into a droid, you know, that, it, you, you know, your life signs are so low that you don't even read as human anymore. I mean, that's cool. It's a very, very cool idea. I'm just not sure if it fits perfectly within the canon. You know, it seems like, it seems like Vader would have been a little more confident about the whole situation. You know, he wouldn't say something like, I'm, well, let's test it on Captain Solo. Sure. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty much in line with you on that one, I think. And I wonder if you're also in line with me on this question about the episode, that this information held by Master PL about these secret hyperspace lanes, this is potentially war-changing stuff, like super, super, super vital information. So it was a little bit odd to me that they decided to only send two Jedi. I mean, Ahsoka wasn't in the plan originally, so they were just sending these two Jedi on this crucial and potentially war-changing mission. So I was thinking, well, why did you leave Plo Koon behind? Where was Mace? Where's Ayla and Luminara and Kiri Mundi and Master Yoda, who would have been great at getting through vents and what have you? It just seemed like this massively important mission, and it was just odd that they only sent two Jedi. I don't know. Did that strike you in this episode? No, it didn't. I mean, it wasn't something that I'd considered, but... I mean, you also have to think that maybe at this point, Obi-Wan and Anakin are like the grade A Jedi, you know what I sure. mean? So maybe that's the thinking. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's a very, very important mission. Well, we don't want to send a whole lot of us in there. You know, let's... Uh, See, that part doesn't make sense. It's super important. We don't want to send a whole lot. Why not send, why not send four Jedi instead of two? Because they're such a force multiplier. I don't know. Just tactically, it was very, <laughs> very 
<laughs> you know, I didn't get that part of it. That didn't make sense to me. No, I mean, I, I, mean, I understand, but it, it, it's one of those things I, I didn't actually consider. But it's funny that you say that. It's, again, just one of those things I just didn't think about. I think because they emphasize, like, this is super vital. We can get right into the heart of their territory, or they can get right into the heart of our territory. There's almost nothing you would think. There's almost nothing in the whole conflict more important than this information at this moment. And so, you know, why not send a full-on, you know, landing at Point Rain type assault to try and, I don't know. This, I don't want to hammer it too much because, uh, I mean, it's probably sounding like I have more questions about the episode than I really have. And spoiler alert, I like this episode a lot. And one of the things that we've got to get to, Robbie, I've already said what my favorite shot of the episode was, but what was your favorite shot in the Citadel? Well, I mean, uh, a lot of the arrival shots on uh, Lola Sayuza is beautiful, and I almost picked that. But then my boy Obi-Wan dismembered an assassin droid and then flipped, you know, turned around and impaled him <laughs> yep. backwards. And I just loved I just loved it so much that uh yeah, I think that's my uh that's my shot of the episode. Yeah, there's some sweet action in this episode, Robbie, and another shot I was kind of tossing up for my favorite shot of the episode it wasn't actually an action shot it was maybe only the third shot after the intro finishes so very early in the episode it's when we are in Plo Koon's mission briefing and we get a shot over his shoulder at the hologram of the citadel in the center of the planning room and there's Cody in the left of the screen in his yellow tagged armor and Rix is there in hologram form along with the hologram citadel and right there behind Rix's hologram is an arc trooper with a purple handprint on the chest piece of his armor. How did you like mm. that, Robbie? That's I didn't actually notice that. Well, boys are back. Echo and Fives. Yeah, I didn't actually notice that. Yeah, they're in the briefing right at the start. And as soon as you... I mean, I said way back in Rookies that when that handprint got put on his armor, I sort of said it jokingly. Like, I'm going to be looking out for that handprint. Anytime you know, that handprint turns up, I'm going to know that's Echo. And I was sort of joking. <laughs> I figured it would get washed off. And I should have known better because the show's smarter than that. And so, yeah, I loved that. I loved seeing that Echo and Fives were there in attendance. These two ARC troopers, Robbie, on the scene and ready for action. And speaking of ready for action, Robbie, hopefully you're ready to tell the troops out there what we learned from the Citadel, Robbie. What were the lessons that you took out of the Citadel? Well, I mean, mine's really, really simple. It's not a life-changing one. But I say anytime you can bring Ahsoka along is a good time. And she always comes in handy. I mean, she fit into that little vent up top. I mean, very... Pro- I was like, she's not going to fit... Oh, she does fit in. Okay. I mean, it's, the way it was framed, it was like, I don't know if she's going to fit in there. And then she just... There you go. So, yeah, that's... I mean, it's a very simple one, but uh, very apt. Yep, I'm always with you, Robbie. We can always do with more Ahsoka. And what I took from this episode is that not only should they take Ahsoka on every mission... They should give R2 his own platoon of battle droids to command on every mission because I love this whole Commander R2 thing so much. I mean, if it's this much fun with a small squad of three battle droids, how much more fun would it be with a whole platoon? Can't we just give... I mean, maybe they're hard to come by, but it doesn't seem like it because they're mass-produced, so I don't know. If they can do anything to give R2 more battle droids, they should do it. That's my lesson from the Citadel. And so now it's time to sum up and find out where the Citadel sits on that four-star Robbie scale. Well, I mean, like I said, it's, it's uh, this is sort of the start of an arc. It's definitely solid. Uh, I'm going to give this one uh, three and a quarter stars. 
That is odd. Yeah, I thought this world of Lolasayu and the imposing prison was very cool, or very hot, I should say, since it's a lava planet. And I also like the kind of darker and more sort of foreboding vibe of this episode, given how inhospitable that world is. You know, there's something so... You don't want to go there. I mean, we used, we haven't done it for a while, but we would talk about whether a certain location would be on our itinerary for a vacation you know into the galaxy far far away and definitely not Lola Sayu but that's one of the reasons I counted as a strength for this episode you know it's super atmospheric and of course it's a lot of fun to meet Master PL and of course to be introduced to this young version of Tarkin who's instantly I mean in one way you don't want to see more of him you want you want to get rid of him but another way that is what makes him entertaining and so I want more Tarkin and I have the Citadel at 8 stowaway padawans out of 10 i really like the tension ahsoka being a stowaway brought to the story too and that's mission accomplished for season 3 episode 18 the citadel so robbie would you please let the troops out there know what are our communications channels sure we are bucho and robbie at gmail twitter and instagram that's b-u-c-h-o-a-n-d-r-o-b-b-y Yes, sir. And of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 63rd episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's Season 3, Episode 19, Counterattack. And until then, this is your old buddy, Bucho, alongside your trusty pal, Robbie. And we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform, and Lucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Lucho and Robbie at gmail.com. May the force be with you.